In 2003, Nike signed 13-year-old Freddie Adu to a seven-figure contract. But Freddie didn't live up to the hype. He has turned down every single documentary project looking closely at the details of his career. Until now. People are going to look at everything you did because of the hype surrounding your arrival and what they think you can be. I'm Grant Wall, and this is American Prodigy, Freddie Adu, from Blue Wire Podcasts. Blue Wire. With the first pick in the 2009 NFL Draft, the Detroit Lions select Matthew Stafford. Quarterback. Stafford, step it up. Going left side. Watch Calvin. And so got him. Oh, baby, that was a rocket. And it's picked off. Intercepted by Darius Slade. No one will catch him. Touchdown, Hello and welcome to another episode of the Michael Rothstein Show. I'm your host, Michael Rothstein. This episode brought to you by Indeed and by Bet Online. Go check out our sponsors as we're in the holiday season. And let's just jump right into it as we usually do. So we're going to do the mailbag today. But before we do that, obviously some stuff happened on Monday as everything this week is going to be a little bit new. So Daryl Bevel addressed the media for the first time as interim head coach. He did that late Monday afternoon while sitting what looked like at a table in his kitchen or dining area near his kitchen, as he said, because no one is allowed in facilities on Monday or Tuesday of this week. So he had to do his first Zoom press conference as an interim head coach, something he'd been waiting for for decades basically sitting at home. And, you know, there is some 2020 to that, of course. But if you listened to anything Daryl Bevel talked about or anything he said, you immediately got the sense that this is going to be a much different situation. Now, we don't know what that's going to mean in terms of wins and losses here for the next five weeks. But here are some kind of snippets of what Daryl Bevel said and some information. Although, Chances are you've seen some of this stuff already before. He's going to retain offensive coordinator slash play calling duties because that means what he was brought in to do. He is potentially going to be a candidate for the job full time. That is what Rod Wood, the team president, told him when they spoke briefly about it somewhere in the last few days between Saturday and today. He was told he was becoming the interim head coach while he was at Very coincidentally, the Henry Ford Museum, which is obviously in the Ford family, he was telling this great little anecdote of how they had just gone through the glass blowing section of it and they saw an ornament that his wife really liked. So they were actually on the way to the gift shop to buy the ornament. And then he looked down at his phone and he had a text message from Kevin Anderson, the chief of staff, saying essentially, call Rod Wood. ASAP. So he called Rod Wood. Rod Wood put Sheila Ford Hamp on the phone and they offered him the job. Basically, you know, telling him, I guess, Matt Patricia had been fired. And he said, I will take the job. And that is how Daryl Bevel got his first opportunity to be a head coach. Something that, if you remember a couple of weeks ago, he said he had been chasing for a while. 
So I want to read this because I asked him about like whether, you know, how do you feel about this? Like this is your first shot. This is obviously not how you envisioned it on so many levels from the grandiose press conference that most new head coaches get to actually getting to have an off season to being with a team to knowing you're going to potentially have a few years versus five games. And this is what Bevel said, quote, I hate the circumstance at which it happened, but it's an opportunity. You have to take full advantages of opportunities that you're given, however they may come your way. Like I told the players, I'm jacked. I'm excited. I get a five game, five game audition to show what I'm capable of. But I also told them that everybody is watching them, whether it's our team, whether it's other teams, whether it's the opportunity for them to continue to play, people are watching them. So how we react in this moment and how we're able to bring out our best in these next five games is going to tell all. Regardless, no one cares about the circumstances, how I'm going, how I'm doing this head coach thing, but they're going to judge me on those five games. So I want to do my best in that. End quote. He also made it very clear he wants his players to come in and have fun and be loose. And you could just tell that. The vibe was completely different. And we'll get to that in the mailbag a little bit, too. The vibe was completely and totally different in this press conference than it had been in any Matt Patricia press conference all year long. I, I truly believe now... Early on, Matt Patricia was pretty open about certain things, whether it was Star Wars or whether it was taking was took his kids to Legoland or something like that. But he, for the majority of his tenure, was very, very tight-lipped about anything other than football. Like I remember very, very vividly. I think I asked him whether he had gotten like Christmas shopping done early or or was something about that, and it was something you know very innocent. And his answer was Vikings because they were playing the Vikings that week. And I was just like, wait, really? You can't even like talk about that? And that's just kind of how Matt Patricia was. Now, he got better as the years went on. But I really feel like I learned more about Daryl Bevel and his family in this 20-minute introductory press conference. Although he's talked about some family stuff before and how his daughter played played college softball and all of that. But he just was open and refreshing and sure i mean he doesn't have much to lose he's got everything to gain so why not just go for it but just the little anecdote about how he found out he was going to be the head coach and then actually and i'll be curious to see if he gets any blowback from his daughters about this or his soon-to-be son-in-laws but apparently two of his daughter's boyfriends actually asked him over the weekend for their his daughter's hands in marriage, like to get, to get permission as, as you're, you know, want to do in many traditional cultures. And he kind of dropped that. Oh yeah, that happened, but they haven't asked yet. And it just cracked me up because he actually went, had to go back to like, be like, Oh wait, wait, it, it was just go find, watch the whole press conference. It was quite entertaining. I thought, uh, and I thought it all also, it was very informative and you could learn some stuff from there particularly about and he basically said listen I'm going to be me when it comes to how I do this thing he wouldn't say much about if much from the offense is going to change but like I said he just was very open about stuff and I thought was very forthcoming as much as he was going to I asked him you know because he talked about the element of fun and you know was that missing this year and you know he he kind of didn't want to get into that. He said he didn't really care about what happened before. But then he was asked about what was the attitude of the team prior 
And it was I I think it's just been a little consistent at times. Just my thing is I just want them to be able to have a great time. It's important to know that being able to have a good time and hard work, they don't have to be individual deals. You can have a great time and work hard. That's what I told the guys. That's what I want them to do. It's never really been about their work. They've worked hard. I'm excited to be able to bring that attitude for them. Like, end quote. And that sums up everything that's different between the Daryl Bevel potential mini era and the Matt Patricia era. Also, before we get into the mailbag, which we'll hit after the break, Matthew Stafford did also talk today. Less informative stuff there, although it's more about what he didn't say. Stafford was asked multiple times about his future after Sheila Fordham basically said it would be up to the next GM and head coach. And Stafford said, listen, I'm, I'm focused on now. I'm working on now. At a time in the future, we'll address all that. But he felt it was unfair to his teammates to talk about any of that now. Now, that's a, a standard Matthew Stafford answer whenever his job security or his future has been brought up. That is not new. But obviously, this is closing in potentially on the most kind of chance that he might be gone from the Lions. And he was asked pretty straightforward by Justin Rogers, like whether or not he had the bandwidth to go through another rebuild. And he said that he's open. He's not ruling anything out. So I think that he's going to pay a lot of attention to this. And, you know, I, I know I said it the other day and I said it, um, like on a couple of radio hits too that I've done, but if you were the if you like Matthew Stafford, savor these next five performances from him because there is a chance. I don't think it's a great chance at this point, but I, it's definitely not a non-zero possibility that Matthew Stafford is not with the Lions in 2021. So at least if you're going to, you know, if you're going to want to take anything out of these five games, enjoy watching Matthew Stafford because. As you, I think, learned with Calvin Johnson, as you've learned with some other players, DeAndre Levy, the end comes very quickly and sometimes quicker than you know and quicker than you anticipate. So savor what you're seeing from Matthew Stafford because the guy's had a heck of a career with the Lions, whether it ends after this year, ends after next year, ends uh, a long time from now. So we'll be back right after this with all of your questions right here on the Michael Rothstein Show. Two thousand twenty has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Much to the happiness of probably everybody. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. That's right, no long-term contracts. And now Indeed's new New way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. 
73% of online job seekers in the U.S. visiting Indeed each month, according to Comscore, total visits. So it's clear Indeed can help you get the quality hire you need. That's why more than 3 million businesses worldwide use Indeed for hiring. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Faster than even Matt Prater's 59-yard field goal went through the uprights. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. And football, as we have seen, is very much back in full swing. And you might not be at a game this year. Only 500 or so people can be in Lions games over the last couple of home games. But you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use that promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word, BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Now, back to our show. Welcome back. Thanks for sticking with us. And we'll just jump right in to the mailbag. By the way, obviously, if you've gotten this far, we will do a GM first look on tomorrow's show. But I wanted to get to the mailbag questions here today. So we'll start with Bobby430761, a regular. Do I think Corey Udlin will have a, a different defensive play calling now that Patricia is gone? Or is his philosophy the same? You know, we don't really know. I think there'll be some changes. Listen, it's not going to be a complete overhaul scheme change. The scheme is what it is. But I'll be curious to see maybe whether they're a little bit more aggressive, whether they take more chances. Because we all know that what we saw largely was Matt Patricia's defense still. And it's not like they're going to come out and all of a sudden run this completely different, you know, full zone defense. Maybe they run a little bit more zone. I don't know. Uh, but I'll be curious to see if Corey Undlin creates any wrinkles because obviously, even though Undlin was calling the plays, this was still Matt Patricia's defense. And Matt Patricia still had a heavy influence over it. That influence is now gone. So I don't know the answer. Corey Undlin is supposed to talk here on Tuesday. So that's going to be probably one of the things he's asked the most about during his media session later today. Jeremy Friedrichs, who's at Friedrichs JK, asks, is there any way a coach would be hired before a GM? It seems unlikely, but what if they can't find a GM they like and they find a head coach candidate that's a match? So I don't know. I mean, listen, it happens. It happened in Washington with Ron Rivera. I think if you're doing that, you're committing to a complete rebuild, in my opinion. Although obviously Washington competing for a playoff spot at the moment, but in an atrocious NFC East. So I think if you're doing that, you're probably hiring a head coach with a bunch of experience. So going back to 
what we had talked about on yesterday's podcast, maybe that's where a Marvin Lewis comes into play or an Urban Meyer who, even though he doesn't have a ton of NFL coaching experience, has so much coaching experience and so much knowledge of the college game that he comes in to play. I can't see them doing that otherwise. I think that the option would be there if they found the right candidate, but you'd need it to be a really powerful coach and you need it to be pairing with somebody who he trusts as a GM, whether it's an experienced GM or a first-time GM, for that to really take place. But I have a tough time seeing that, although you know, if you feel like you can get the coach you want, then I think you do it, but chances are you're going to be able to find a GM with a a solid head coach idea. And even though that no one's allowed to talk to anybody, the reality is like NFL personnel people, NFL coaches, they have this discussion. They talk about it. I mean, if you remember when Patricia was hired and even when Corey Unlin was hired, they talked about these things, you know, when they were young. So younger coaches still on their way up. So these things do get discussed. I don't know whether they would do that, like and what the real strategy would be to do that and what the benchmark would be. But to me, I think it would have to be really high. You'd have to be getting a head coach has been successful a lot of places. I mean, Jim Harbaugh, I guess, would be another person in that category for you to hire the coach before a general manager. And in some of those cases, you might be giving them the keys to the entire kingdom. That's dangerous, in my opinion, especially with the lack of other football people who are definitely sticking around in the organization because who knows what this rest of this front office will look like kyle o'brien obviously came in with bob quinn so we'll see kind of what happens there and mike disner was hired fairly recently uh rob loman last newmark had been around for a while so those are kind of the in-house people who are running gm duties right now obviously rod wood is not qualified to be a general nfl general manager just based off of what the job title is so I don't know. That's a really, really tough call. And to me, the only way that would happen would be if you're hiring a really experienced coach who has won a lot and like that's that's how you're going to get them. But otherwise, I, I would hire the GM first more than likely. That's at least how I would do it. Gar Johnson, one, asks, what are the chances that Lions re- completely tear down and rebuild the roster like the process the Pistons just started? Clean house, build around youthful talent, and hopefully contend three to four years down the road when the talent begins to blossom. So that's a good question, and I think that's going to be one of the things that has to be asked by Sheila Ford-Hamp and by Rod Wood. And I think it's something that, depending on what those answers are, might influence whether or not a GM or a head coach or that combination of people ends up getting hired. And I think with that too leads the question of Matthew Stafford, which you talked about before the break. I think if you're looking at a complete rebuild, it doesn't make a lot of sense to stick around and go with Matthew Stafford in the long term because three to four years from now, he'd be 36, 37 years old. You probably were going to have to pay him another contract at that point. And I don't know if he's going to want to stick around 30 that, that much longer because while his offensive line would likely be intact because Taylor Decker is not going anywhere for a while. And Frank Ragnow is going to be, should be an easy, easy decision to offer a massive extension to. And Jonah Jackson is going to be on a rookie contract for another three years at least. So, the pieces are there 
Uh, you'd have to make a decision on Terrell Crosby, obviously, at some point. The pieces are there at least for his protection, and DeAndre Swift will be around, and we'll see what happens with Kenny Galladay. But a complete and total teardown and rebuild. They do have pieces to build around, like Decker, like Ragnow, like Swift, potentially Galladay. Uh, on the defensive side of the ball, I was still trying to build around Tracy Walker, even though he hasn't had a great season. You're probably sticking with Trey Flowers for a while longer. John Penasini seems like a promising piece, but it's way too soon there. Amani Awarie seems like a promising piece, but maybe still a little bit too soon there. Jeff Okuda, obviously, you're hoping that he uh, takes a big step here and maybe he's put in better situations. Going back to that that Corey Undlin question, I'll be curious to see if Undlin tries to find better ways to put Jeff Okuda in more successful situations. So there are pieces, but... You've got a lot of aging guys that make it tough to do a ton with the roster. So I, I don't really know the answer to that question. And I'll be very curious to see what type of contract they would give somebody if they know it's going to be a complete and total rebuild. Because, listen, even the Dolphins were supposed to be a complete and total rebuild. And look where they are right now a couple of years in. So it can happen quick if you get the right coach and the right pieces in place. Um, you just have to understand it might happen quick and then there'll be a bump in the road and then you come back to what what ends up being what you hope, which is being a consistent contender as you are building the thing. But that's part of the NFL is except in Detroit and really a little bit in Cleveland and Buffalo, although Buffalo has it going now and Cleveland seems to be doing all right. The NFL is based on parity. It's based for teams not to be down for long and really only the Lions have and Jaguars really, but even the Jaguars a few years ago were almost in the Super Bowl have been down for long. Eric Hippofan who's at Spleen 95 short BR asks, do you think Bob Quinn had an oh crap moment in private about the Patricia hire and by then it was too late and he, so he just stuck with it? Or do you truly believe in him even into this season? I don't know the answer to that question and I don't know if we'll ever know the answer to that question. I have reached out to Bob Quinn since he has been let go to see if he'd be willing to talk. I have not heard back from Bob Quinn yet. Not surprised at that. So, because I'm, I'm more interested in talking with him than I would be with Matt Patricia, frankly, because I don't really know what Matt Patricia could say um, based off of the results on the field. But Bob Quinn, I think I would be really curious to see what his thoughts are. Um, I don't know. I, I really don't. I mean, it was clear and obvious to a lot of people that this was a mistake well before both Bob and Matt were fired. So I don't know. I, I, I really don't. But, I mean, Bob Quinn's a smart guy. I know it doesn't always, you know, fans get on him and, and there's this perception because he doesn't talk all the time. But I mean, spend some time with Bob Quinn. Bob Quinn's a smart dude. He knows what what he, you know, he, he knows what makes success and, and what doesn't. And obviously it just didn't happen here. So I don't know. And I think it goes back to what I asked Sheila Ford Hamp on Saturday about whether they were a package deal. And she kind of danced around the question of saying that they looked at everything. And I, I do wonder if there was a point where Bob Quinn realized, well, if I get rid of him now, I'm probably gone too. So I don't know. I mean, I, I really don't know the answer to that question, but it is one that I think is super interesting.
Slade Bivens, who's at Slade Bivens, asks, can we get all the info on Len Perna? Seems to be a lot of Michigan ties, Pistons, Chip Ganassi Racing, the ACC commissioner as well. Real busy guy. So Len Perna is the guy that the Detroit Free Press uh, reported is going to potentially be the search firm person to really help uh, help the Lions out here. He is the CEO of Turnkey, which is a search firm. He founded it in 1996, and you know he's he's been interesting guys. He's been plugged in in sports. He was the business ops guy and general counsel for the Dallas Stars. He's run general sales for Olympia Entertainment. Uh, went to NYU for his master's. Uh, no, I take that back. He went in the sports executive training program at NYU. He got his JD from Michigan and the Michigan's Law School. He got an MSA at Ohio State. So he's he's a pretty impressive guy, as most of these search firm people are. Another guy that gets used often is Jed Hughes. So these guys are, are legit, I mean, when they're doing it. Now, you may not always understand why they use them and I understand why you know people are skeptical about that but what this also does is this really helps kind of how do I say this um it it helps kind of give some protection give some plausible deniability to basically how do I put this he, it gives you plausible deniability to talk, reach out to guys before they're maybe allowed to be talked to, to kind of gauge interest, to do the background search vetting that you need done. And obviously we saw last time around kind of what happened there. And that to me is important. And you just sometimes want people to, you know, if you have a lot of candidates to vet, you want people to, to ha- help. Why wouldn't you want help? Think about it. In all of our professions, we, we tried to find the best options and the best resources to help. And to me, that is something that I think can really happen and, and maybe be somewhat helpful. And if Len Pern is the guy to do that with Turnkey, then I think that they should do it. But Rod Wood was very quick to say on Saturday when I asked specifically about a search firm that they have not engaged with a search firm yet. So we'll see I guess, A, how transparent the Lions are willing to be when it comes to this search and whether they are willing to use a search firm, and B, how much that really helps. So we'll see, but I think, again, I think it's a decent sign that they're willing to kind of do all of these things rather than go it alone and admit that there's a lot that they, not a lot, but there are things that they don't know and and avenues that they maybe don't find. So I have no issue with any of that, and I think it's smart. Um personally by the way uh since we were talking about jed hughes works for corn ferry that's another really big one besides just sponsoring the kind of just below pga tour golf tour so i think that that is definitely part of it and the cool thing with turnkey and with perna as well is he's done a lot of kind of college searches as well so he's really plugged into that space if say they do use him and they maybe want to go the college route like, I think that's another way where, frankly, they can do some stuff. 
and to me, like I said, I think that there is some real value in using using him and or using a search firm in general. Next question comes from Mary Lamos. She asks, are you looking forward to the first presser without Patricia behind the microphone? How do you think Bevel will handle the media? Well, we talked about that at the top. Like I said, we get back to it. I thought that he handled himself very well other than potentially causing some agita for his future son-in-laws but who knows maybe that's like i'm not a dad i'm not a you know i don't have kids and i'm not married so i haven't had to go down that road of uh asking for permission yet almost once but have not done that and basically i i almost wonder if he kind of told his son-in-laws hey i'm gonna blow up your spot here or if he's doing it to test them because listen i think we all know there are sometimes dads who like to kind of needle a little bit i don't get the sense that bevel's that type of guy uh and i hope that his daughters at least knew that that was coming but i thought he i thought he was great i thought he was open i thought he was honest without throwing his former boss under the bus um, I thought he was genuinely excited and I thought that that came through. Listen, this is something as I talked about at the top, he's been chasing this for a while. He's wanted this for a long time and he was really close before the Super Bowl. And we all know what Super Bowl I'm talking about. We all know what play I'm talking about because Matt Patricia brought it up, but I think he would have been a head coach had it not been for that one play. In that one situation. I think it would have happened already. Because he's really personable. He's good with the media. He's been great to cover as an offensive coordinator the last year and a half. I've enjoyed my conversations with him. I learned something from him. And he's honest. And he's open. And and that's all I ask from anyone I'm ever covering. So was I looking forward to it? it? was. I was curious to see how he would handle it. Whether he would be different than he was as a coordinator. And he wasn't. As he said, I got to be me, paraphrasing. But I think the fact that that showed in the press conference and how he handled himself, I thought was a really good step because it's all about being genuine and authentic and authentic in so much of this, right? And I thought Bevel was definitely that today. And I even felt like Stafford, for as little as maybe he did or did not say about his future and even about kind of the whole situation, I felt like that was one of the better Stafford pressers that has happened in a while, at least in a positive way. Obviously, the one after he was separated from his family for an entire week, I thought was among the most raw we've seen Stafford, um, period, in his time in Detroit. So I'll be curious to see what this looks like over the next five weeks. I'm really curious to talk to some other people as the week goes on here and see what they have to say. Upset Lions fan asks, can we get someone new in there in time to sign Kenny Galladay? Yes, they will have someone new in by the time a franchise tag needs to be applied. But at this point, you're not going to see a move probably until end of the season. Uh, you know, maybe a few days after, or maybe a couple weeks after. We'll see how all that goes, depending on kind of how they want to handle it. But that person will be in in plenty of time, whoever it is, both head coach and general manager to make a decision on Kenny Galladay, whether it's to pay him the money that he's hoping to get, whether it's to not, whether it's to franchise tag him, any of those things. So there will be someone in time, just 
understand it's going to take a while. Like this stuff isn't going to happen till the end of the season, unless they kind of go completely out of the box and go with somebody who's not currently employed by an NFL team. Jacob, who's at X at Jacob underscore XGOP asks, why can't we have nice things? I, I, I don't know what you're referring to because I think that, you know, things seem to be going well right now. If you're the lion, if you're the lions and you wanted things to kind of start to change. So, I think that right now, if you're the Lions, you have more hope now than you did a week ago at this time. Dean Sever, who's at Blues 1967, asks, with so many coaching and GM candidates, is there one or two of each that stand out for you? So that's a good question. Um, I really, I think if you listen to the podcast yesterday, I was really high and continue to obviously be really high on Robert Saleh. I know that he is a defensive coach, but... I think he gets his players to play hard. I think he is genuine. I think if you go watch some of his press conferences, you see that. He's learned under multiple systems and multiple coaches, which is important. And I think he's got his own voice. And that is so critical. And when a player like Richard Sherman, who is always honest and always upfront, basically says you should be a head coach and you this guy should get a ton of credit, that carries weight with me. And he said that after they beat the Rams on Sunday, like that carries a lot of weight with me because I, I think that he knows what he's talking about. He's been around and he's been around Saleh as well in a couple of different spots, including Seattle. So he's a guy that stands out to me. Um, Arthur Smith is another guy that I'm really intrigued by because he may look like he's got, and we talked about it um, the other day, that even though he has only been in Tennessee on the NFL level, he's coached, well, except with the exception of his time as a quality assistant in Washington, like he's worked under so many different people that he's even seen how it works in multiple regimes in one place and how you can kind of fail and succeed and what goes into each coach failing and succeeding in one spot. I think that's a really intriguing resume. I really do, and listen, he's an innovative offensive mind. I would, He would be at the top of my list as well. I just think that there's some real interesting stuff there potentially from him, and I'd be curious to see what, he's, what he says about his time in Tennessee and what he's learned from it and taken from it. Um, that would be a guy that, to me, I would really be intrigued by. Um the other guy that I would be really intrigued by, I'll give you three, is Raheem Morris. Now, if Raheem, if Atlanta doesn't keep Raheem Morris, I think what you're seeing from him now is is something that you can really buy into because I think it's a coach that you're seeing in a short time frame that has learned from the mistakes that he made in the past when he was a head coach in Tampa. And I think you're really seeing that, and I think that there's potential there. So those three guys, to me, would be ones that I'm intrigued by. As far as general manager candidates, I still think it's really early there. I like Trent Kirshner. I think that he's really talented. He's really done a great job building that organization, helping to build Seattle. And that guy, that's really intriguing to me. Um, another guy that I would look at is... A guy in Indianapolis, his name is Ed Dodds, and he's a guy that, once again, I think makes a lot of sense for the Lions. If if you're looking at guys who kind of built places, he's 
interviewed or been requested to interview a lot of different places over the last few years. So he is Chris Ballard's right-hand man. And there is something to that, in my opinion. And I think that, again, he's a guy that I think you look at if you are the Lions. I think you ask. I think you inquire. Dodds did spend a lot of his time in Seattle before he went to Indianapolis. And we're going to get into this a bit tomorrow. But obviously, if Robert Saleh ends up being a guy that they want, that could be a good pairing. Guys that have diverse backgrounds, have been different places, but also have a commonality. So that could be another guy to really potentially look at. So that as a general manager would be one that I think could be quite potentially intriguing. Um, So Kirshner and Dodds would be two guys I would be intrigued by. I mean, I also like what John Dorsey has done. I don't know if you go to that John Dorsey tree again, um, but you look at what he helped start to build in Kansas City. You look at what happened in Cleveland uh, and obviously it didn't stick in Cleveland, but I, I mean, a guy can at least find talent, and I don't think there's any question about that. Probably the only way I think you go that route is if you're bringing in a new head coach, like a first-time head coach, and you want to make sure you have someone with some experience as well. And to me, like I said, that is an intriguing, an intriguing situation that could maybe work, depending. But again, I think there's going to be just a lot of different questions all over the place when it comes to GMs. And let's be honest, GMs are less well-known than head coaching hires. David against the dying of the light blues in 7-8 asks, what happens to the Lions scouting department? Everything else aside, finding talent is going to be an issue. That's going to be up to the new general manager, head coach, or whoever's running the football side of things. And I think that that'll, that decision will be left completely up to them. A lot of the Lions scouts have been in place for a while, and you can't always blame the scouts for the decisions that are made by the GM because sometimes GMs don't listen to scouts. Dave Sears, I think, is a quality, very quality scout. He's the guy who runs our college scouting department uh, and has, for the last few years, he's worked his way up. And I think he's a quality scout. I spent some time with him back in February. And he's seen multiple systems and multiple ways of doing things because he's been around through multiple staffs. So to me, that also tells you that he's respected amongst multiple different types of general managers. So I think that you end up seeing the scouting department largely stay intact, but you never know. I think it's gonna. that's a question that we won't know the answer to until they hire a new general manager or a new director of football operations. That will, I think, tell a lot of what they're looking for because it might also depend on what their scouting system is, what they value before they make that sort of move. Andy Ryan, who's at Android2384, who is on your GM shortlist, what possible restructures to the front office do you think the Lions should consider? So we hit a little bit about the GM shortlist. And again, we're going to have a whole podcast about first look at general manager candidates tomorrow. But possible restructures to the front office. I'll be curious to see what they do with Rod Wood's role. 
And Matt Derry pointed this out. He has another podcast that you should maybe go check out. He is the president and CEO, but I think they need to bring in somebody to handle the the football operations of it. And his bio in his bio. And it starts like this, quote, as Detroit Lions team president and CEO, Rod Wood oversees all football and business operations of the Lions organization and reports directly to principal owner and chairman Sheila Ford Hamp. So I don't know if the football thing has been in there before. Matt Derry says that it was not. But even so, um, that could be just a temporary change in there because Rod Wood has largely run the business side of things. Like, that's been clear. I don't think he's been involved in any sort of day-to-day kind of football decision-making. Does he probably sign off as either proxy for ownership or uh, with ownership on massive deals? Sure, but that's partially a business thing, too, and an understanding kind of from a financial cash perspective what that might mean on big contracts. But I, I don't... To me, I don't think that that is as big of a deal as I know others are making it. Do I think that they could afford to maybe restructure the front office a little bit and have Rod really just be, even if it's team president slash business, and have someone else be like director of football operations or something like that? Um, so you kind of delineate it a little bit more. Maybe I could see them doing that. I could see them siloing it a bit. Um, I know that again it's obviously a much smaller type of situation but Sheila Ford Hamp was one of the people that really spearheaded when she worked at the Purple Rose Theater again a much much smaller operation and I know people kind of get annoyed when I bring up her past experience but it's all we have to go on when we see it that she actually did that there and she split their roles into kind of siphoning off the business side and the creative side to because she felt one person maybe couldn't handle all of that and it wasn't being as effective. So, and that really helped that organization. So I think she can look at the organization and make that decision as well. And if she does, then maybe they do hire a football minded person as like kind of a director of football operations or team president football. That said, I also think Rod Wood has a lot more contacts in the league now and has a lot more presence in the league now than when he was hired in 2015. I know obviously that quote is going to live with him for a long time the not a football guy quote but I mean he was being upfront and honest and again don't you want that and at the time no he had no football experience but how do you gain experience by being on the job and that's clearly what he's been doing is having experience by being on the job we'll see how all of this goes and if I'm Sheila Ford Hamp and this does not go well I put this absolutely at the feet of Rod Wood but I don't know. I may be more optimistic than some about kind of what that situation might look like and kind of see where that goes. Because let's be honest, both of these, it's still about hiring people at the end of the day. And at least Rod Wood has hired people in the past. And I think that that's just as important as, you know, the football aspect of it, because you can hire a football person and you can have people you talk to on the football side of things to do that but again that's just me which leads into the next question from jason shipman who's at j shippy 10 which is why so much hate for rod wood what football vps are making huge difference to on the field football i think it depends on the structure of the organization like it really really does there are some organizations that their 
business VPs are completely separate. And there are some organizations where it's a little bit more folded in. Uh, I think it's just a style of kind of org charts and decision making. So I'll be curious to see again what Sheila Ford Hamp and maybe Rod would consider in terms of org charts and what they might be willing to shift and not shift. Uh, but I think people just hate on him because of that quote in 2015 and because they really banked on Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn working out and it didn't. I think that that's really where it comes from. It, you know, winning cures all is, is the old axiom. And uh, I think what you're seeing right now is people wouldn't care what Rod Wood was doing if they were winning. They really, really wouldn't. And I think the fact that he had such a say and like went everywhere with Bob Quinn uh, when they interviewed Matt Patricia, like I think that that's part of it too. But, you know, he's also taken a little bit more of he's, – he's more of a front-facing team president than I think some other team presidents, whether it's kind of reading pregame ads at Ford Field, talking about like player – you know, being safe and the tornado stuff and all that – or just kind of being a little bit out front more, I think that that invites a little bit more scrutiny. However, like I said, I don't think that he should be getting hate for necessarily the football side of things at this point. But I think right now with the way Sheila Ford Hamp laid it out, if this does not go well for the Lions, a lot of this can be laid at his feet. Jeff Rowley, who's at JMA Crowley, asks... As a follow-up to Lions ownership, what are the top three characteristics they are looking for in the general manager and the new coach? And what do you think Rod Wood's role in all of this is? So more Rod Wood stuff. Obviously, as we just talked about with Rod Wood, he's going to be really helpful with Sheila Fordham in making this decision. He ha- he is her guy when it comes to this. And he is not, listen, he's not going to make the decision. I don't even think he's going to be like making the recommendation. But I think he's going to be part of the group that absolutely... Um, is there to help and to, you know, try and make this thing right with the Lions. Uh, as far as the three characteristics they're looking for, they were very, very wide open. They did not say at all, really, what they were maybe looking for or not looking for in a new general manager or a head coach. Um, I think it's clear they obviously want someone they believe they can win with. But... I think other than that, they're pretty open. They're pretty open to structure. They're pretty open to offense versus defense, college, pro. They're, I think, taking a really wide net at it, like we talked about a little bit on the pod yesterday. I know that's not really an answer I can give you at this point, but right now that's the sense I get. And I'm sure that will get drilled down a bit as we go and as kind of things start to unravel a little bit here with the rest of the season. Lawrence Flynn, who's at LFly11, asks, what is the timeline for hiring a new GM and coach? They can't start interviewing people from other teams until the playoffs. Is that right? They've hired a search firm. Would Sheila Fordham bring in a Corsi again or someone else to sit in and consult? Or is all that all in the search firm? So, okay, a few questions there. Obviously, they haven't confirmed a search firm yet. But if they do bring in a search firm, uh, that that can replace like an Ernie Accorsi, Bill Parcells, Charlie Casserly type when it comes to that consultation. But they can also ask for maybe a former GM or former head coach to help when it comes to making some of these decisions. I would be highly skeptical they would go back to Ernie Accorsi again. That I if they did that, that would be one a move I would really question Sheila and Rod about because I feel like that would be a bad decision. But 
if you went to, you know, and I would just also be really, I think you learned your lesson a little bit there and say, okay, well, who does this person have ties to? And are they feeding me this person they have ties to? Or are they feeding me the person that's the best candidate? And I think that the Lions kind of ownership group now also understands more what they're looking for, where maybe that didn't happen as much earlier when they hired Bob Quinn because Sheila Ford had not really been involved with much of the team decisions before her dad died. Martha Ford had been involved, but not really before her dad, before her husband died. So I think that that's part of it too. As far as the timeline, I don't expect anything to really happen until the end of the season, unless they go outside of the box with uh, a GM or coach. Uh, my understanding is they can't interview people from other teams until the end of the regular season. Now it'll be even more interesting how that happens with COVID. And that was a question that was not asked on Saturday, but one I'm hoping may get some clarification on in the next week or two weeks or, or a month or something like that as things kind of ramp up again a little bit here. But yeah, I certainly for a head coach, unless if they're going the someone from the NFL route or currently employed with the NFL route, uh, you're not going to see something until after the season's over. Same with general manager. So it's going to be a little bit of time. Madden underscore Megatron asks, I got one. What are the things that would attract a new head coach to Detroit? We'll be competing with other teams to fill these vacancies. And I'd like to know your thoughts on why a head coach or general manager, for that matter, would choose Detroit over another franchise. Well, so a few things. One, I think it's how they maybe view Matthew Stafford. If you view Matthew Stafford as a GM or a head coach, as a guy you can really win with, then that's really attractive to you, especially if you feel like you can turn the roster in short order. Um, I think the way the Ford's ownership style, as much as some people on this podcast may not like their ownership style, it is attractive to football people because they usually will give the general manager or head coach time to see their vision through or see their vision through in this case until it's clear that it's just not working and that it's going to fail so or has failed. So I think that is something that's very attractive to general managers and head coaches. We'll see where their draft pick is, but in comparison to, say, Houston, which doesn't have draft picks, that makes it more attractive than Houston. What makes it less attractive is they don't have Deshaun Watson. Um, I, I think it's maybe attractive to a guy who, you know, is from the area or wants to kind of rebuild. Because this is a job that if you do this and you do it right, like you're getting a statue. And you have a legacy. And heck, honestly, if you do it right and you get to a Super Bowl, I'm not even saying you win a Super Bowl, but you get the Detroit Lions to a Super Bowl or you get them to even, hell, five or six NFC Championship games or something like that, something something big there. Like you make them really a consistent winner. I mean, that imagine what that would be like for the Hall of Fame. Like it's a legacy-building job if you can be the person to turn it around. And – there's, I think, an ego-level thing there that could be really attractive to head coaches because head coaches and general managers are confident people. They believe in their vision. So they think that they can do it. Um, also, frankly, there are 32 of these jobs. I know that that's cliche. You hear that a lot, but it's true. And Daryl Bell was a great example that if you don't sometimes 
act while you're being talked about. Terrell Austin, another great example. If you don't act or get one of these jobs while you're being talked about and are in the conversation, that time might pass you by. For Bevel, it looked like it did until obviously what happened this year. For Terrell Austin, it looks like it might have. So we'll see what happens here. But I think that's an argument I would make. Um, I think it's a more attractive job than some other places, but you have to understand too what it is that you might be walking into as far as a rebuild. Because that's the other thing. If that is something that is understood, you also might have the benefit of time. Where if you walked into another situation, like frankly the situation Matt Patricia walked into, you don't necessarily have that benefit of time. So that's something to think about as well. Tim Campbell is at Vincent Life asks, What's the worst offer you're willing to take the Broncos for Stafford? I don't know. I haven't gotten to that point yet. I think first we have to see who the new general manager and head coach are, and then we can really start talking about Matthew Stafford's future. But, you know, I think that there are a lot of questions about what will happen in Denver or other places before we start talking about offers for Stafford. But I I probably wouldn't move Stafford now for at least multiple picks, including, including either multiple twos or a one at this point at at minimum that would be my asking price because you kind of want to see where you're at and what it would cost you to move him at this point detroit comma tank city who's at detroit tank city asks is it fair to matthew stafford or smart of the lions to continue to play him this season uh, i'm not going to read the rest of the question but yeah they're going to play him because daryl bevel wants to win matthew stafford wants to play he doesn't want to sit so yeah He's going to play him this season because Matthew Stafford wants to, and the Lions want him to. Again, like I said, savor this because this could also be the last five games you see him in the Lions jersey, potentially. Jamal Hayden, who's at Jamal About Sport, asks, why didn't Patricia actually follow the New England blueprint and A, treat stars differently and allow for guys like Slay to be themselves, and B, find the one or two things players did well and put them, put them in positions to be successful? I don't know the answer to that question. And I I think that's just, I don't know. I think it was, that's a great question. And it's one that, listen, Matt Patricia was never going to answer that. And maybe he'll never answer it. You figure at some point he'll end up having to speak to the media again somewhere if he takes another coaching job. And hopefully people ask him those types of questions. But I don't know. I don't know why he didn't do that. Um but he also, listen, he rubs he rubbed Slay the wrong way from basically the jump. And that was a massive tactical error on his part. I don't think he realized he was doing it at the time. I think he thought he was being funny, um, which is how some people in the room put it to me when he said what he said to Slay. But it went over like like bricks, man. And, and that set off such a wrong tone. And I think they just... That's just kind of who he is, and he was trying so hard to be like Bill, and it's funny because I remember back to a conversation I had with with Bob Quinn when I talked to asked him about like you know failures of Belichick people, et cetera, et cetera. And he said like I was like, well, what's the one thing that you learned? And he actually said, don't be like Bill. And here even is what Quinn told me. This was before he hired Patricia. After he was hired, though. He said, quote, don't try to be Bill, as in Belichick, and that he knew that and that he couldn't be that. And I don't think that Bob Quinn was trying to be Belichick. I think Matt Patricia 
was probably trying to be Belichick a little bit too much. But I don't think Bob Quinn really ever was. But he knew he wanted to have influences from that because that's what he knew and that's what he was comfortable with. So to me, yeah, I I really think that that was where Matt Patricia failed. And where so many of, the, of, his, of Belichick's assistants fails, they try too much to be like Belichick instead of really being themselves. Jim Maine, who's at jmain 12 asked, do you think Urban Meyer would be a legitimate candidate and might he be interested? I mean, I would call, as we were talking about in the podcast yesterday, I would call him. I'd make him say no. I would at least inquire. Um, but I would do that with a lot of people. I don't get the sense that he would be interested at this point. But with Urban Meyer, you never know because he's gone back from the TV radio world to coaching before he's never coached in the NFL. So if he feels like that's a challenge, but there are some guys that just don't really want to do the NFL thing because they don't like that lifestyle. So I don't know the answer to that question. I've tried to reach out to a couple people. haven't heard back yet on him and where that might stand. Jamara has at, who's at Jamara two, three, seven, three, two. Do you think the Lions will interview Lewis Riddick for the general manager job or go with the search firm? I mean, they can go with the search firm and potentially interview Lewis Riddick. I don't think that those are mutually exclusive situations. Once again, I mean, I think if you're casting a wide net, you also have five weeks. So if you are interested in what Lewis Riddick can bring, then I think you ask Lewis Riddick if he's willing to talk. Because also that's a conversation you can have tomorrow if you want. Um, that's, that's an easy conversation to have because you don't have to get permission from anybody. So I think that that him and Daniel Jeremiah are two guys that if you want to maybe be a little bit out of the box and you want to hire somebody who's maybe not been in a front office in the last few years or whatever, then sure. I would, I would at least grant Lewis Riddick an interview. Um, I would be a little bit concerned about his time away from being in a front office. And I would, you know, I, he hasn't had to scout in a while, but I think Lewis Riddick is eminently qualified. And I think he'd be, I, I absolutely think he'd be an interesting candidate without a doubt. Ye, who's at XXYE, TIXX123, who do you think is a part of the new regime player wise? Now, this is a good question. Uh, and I say right now, the guys that I think you can feel pretty confident will be around Taylor Decker. Jonah Jackson, Frank Ragnow, DeAndre Swift, TJ Hawkinson, Terrell Crosby for at least a year, uh, and Vitae probably for at least a year based off of his contract on offense. Probably Joe Dahl too. I, I would keep Joe Dahl just because I think he's versatile, and I'm not sure why he is playing behind Odea Boucher. On... And I don't know what they're going to do with Galladay, but I still think you can build around Galladay. Everybody else, I think, is up in the air, at least. On defense, Trey Flowers, Tracy Walker, Amani Awarie, Jeff Okuda, Julian Okwara, John Penasini, and probably Jelani Tavai for at least a year. That, to me, is is what you're looking at. Everybody else, I think, is up in the air, whether they're free agents like Deron Harmon or Romeo Aquara. Uh, Danny Shelton would be a toss-up, I think, depending on the defensive scheme. Uh, 
you're probably keeping Jamie Collins as well. I just don't think you could get out of that contract. But everybody else is is kind of up in the air at this point. And, and that's why when we're talking about rebuild situations, like there just is a rebuild. And then as far as special teams go, Jack Fox. Because I don't know what will happen with Prater at the end of the year. Uh, and I don't know what happens with Dom Muehlbach at the end of the year. I, I can't imagine Dom Muehlbach wants to go through another rebuild, frankly. Um, I, I don't know. But maybe, maybe not. I, I, I don't know. But to me... That would, those would be the guy, the core guys to start with. We'll have a podcast about that at some point here, too. Got just a few more here for you. Kellen Keck, who's at Kellen Keck, asked lots of fans commenting about guys like Chris Spielman, Dorn Orlovsky, and a couple others. What are your thoughts for coach and general manager? I think we've hit on that a lot. Uh, I've seen Spielman's name be thrown out there. Again, like Lewis Riddick, although his level of experience is different than Lewis Riddick's, I would ask if that was a direction that I wanted to go. Chris Spielman's even easier because he talks to people in the organization every week or almost every week for some media type stuff. So, I mean, I guess, but that would be a really big stretch, I think, to me. I don't get the sense that Dan wants to coach um, maybe in certain situations, but Dan... I, was really happy with his media job and uh, at least from every indication I get and he's really 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 good at it and I'm not just saying that because we're colleagues I learned something from Dan Orlovsky every time that um that he does something um especially like the little small bite-sized tutorials that he does on kind of different football plays and coverages and and I learned something every time it's if you want to be a smarter football fan, if you want to be a smarter football reporter, go watch Dan Orlovsky's videos and go pay attention to him. He will make you smarter at this game. And no, Dan did not pay me to say that. <laughs> he is just that good at, at what he does. And it's been awesome to see Dan's rise, frankly. Um, I remember when he and I were talking in the locker room about like a possible future in TV after football was over and he had done the broadcast boot camp stuff and he uh, was doing some stuff pregame for UConn football broadcasts that he was taping during the week and I mean even then I remember talking to him about it you can kind of see that there was maybe something there and what you're seeing now is just awesome like couldn't be happier for Dan Orlovsky. Kurt Gildy is at Gildy Kurt asks, do you see any chance of Daryl Bevel becoming the next head coach after 2020? We will end here today. And I will say I can see a scenario when that happens. But I think that that scenario would include probably winning at least four of the last five games, somehow getting into the playoffs and maybe making a little run or winning a game. That would be where I think you could see that scenario happening. Otherwise, I think that's a tough that's a tough thing to pull because say he goes 3 and 2, right? Or I mean, any any worse than that it definitely wouldn't happen. But even at 3 and 2, he's beaten more than likely a couple of good teams in there or at least one good team in there based off of the final schedule. But will that be enough? I don't know. I don't think so. And that's not a knock on Daryl Bevel, and it's you know an, an unfortunate circumstance for him that he gets a shot and his shot in this scenario. But I think that they would have to be close to perfect, and maybe even get to the postseason for that to happen. Um, but 
We shall see. Uh, the fact that Rod Wood said that he was a candidate or could be a candidate, to me, even Daryl Bevel acknowledging that depends on what happens in the last five games, he knows that he would have to be pretty close to to 5-0, and oh, I think, to really have a shot. But again, that's just my speculation and hypothesis. Um, but, yeah. So, thank you all for listening, as always. I know it was a little bit of a longer episode today. We'll be back tomorrow breaking down some general manager candidates, and I'll try to pair potentially some general managers with head coach candidates to kind of give you an idea of maybe what to look at based off of their shared experiences. Obviously, it's not any sort of catch-all. But we're just digging in here as we go right here on the Michael Rothstein Show. Please consider giving us a five-star review if you'd be so kind. And hopefully these podcasts are informative and interesting for you. And we'll talk to you tomorrow. See ya.